listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. You are listening to myself, Rich. I've got Henry with me, and we promise more guests, and we have guests. So, this week joining us, uh, a member of the Long Snapper podcast that obviously I've mentioned I'm on and we've had a few of the guys on already, but more importantly, the host of one of the more free-thinking rugby podcasts in the UK, Russ Milsom. How are you doing, sir? Hey, how are you doing, Rich? Good. Pleasure to be on. I know I've mentioned once or twice, uh, you know, facetiously (laughs) how you've not invited me on previously. So uh, yeah, good to be here. Yeah, well, worse than that, I invited you on and then didn't actually follow through by getting you on which is probably worse (laughs) than just not not inviting you on at all yeah so russ actually is kind of sneakily important to i might be wrong because when i was first looking into how to record a podcast how to do all the kind of tech editing stuff russ was the the gentleman who very kindly helped out with pointing me in the direction of audacity and giving me some basic tips on how to get set up so thank you for that mate it's much appreciated no worries podcasting is it's so much easier once you get to know what you're doing. Like everybody used to think podcasts is a really dark art and oh no, I'm never going to be able to record a podcast. <laughs> and in actual fact, anybody can record a podcast yeah. as I've proven. Although <laughs> I, th- I think it's fair to say that the first, what, three or four episodes, we didn't have a clue what we were doing and it was kind of making it up as we went along. So it's, yeah, you do learn a lot. But that's the best thing, though, like the the whole learning of how to record, how to edit, what sounds best. And like what I've noticed with Mallover and Long Snapper and all, you know, any of the other stuff that I've done is like evolution, the evolution of sound, the evolution of confidence, yeah, the evolution of just just enjoying it and not, you know, to treating it more like a conversational piece rather than focusing on what you're trying to say, because that it makes it that much more authentic. Absolutely. I mean, we we recorded the first few episodes sat around one USB mic in my front room, which definitely isn't the best from the sound quality. And we've we've gone through ups and downs on that. But yeah, it's it's absolutely it's more about the conversation and and the enjoyment of the subject that you're talking about, which I guess we should get on to. Now, I have a bit of a problem with what we're going to discuss, because we're going to discuss a couple of bands from the what I hate to call the mid noughties <laughs> because it's, it's the worst thing. And I really, it's, I've never really understood how we can talk about that decade in a, in a good way, but yeah, apologies. We might say mid noughties a few times here and I don't, I'm yeah. not happy about it. I don't think there's another way to do it. The zeros, it just doesn't work, does it? It's it's got to be the noughties. Mid mid two thousands, two thousands is a bit clunky. Yeah. It's a bit clunky though, isn't it? <laughs> we can go with that. All right. So you've, brought two bands and two albums from that period uh that we're going to talk about so give us give us a bit of information on on who you brought so i bought i bought with me today i've bought probably my fave as i explained to you like before i don't listen to a lot of albums in general but this was sort of during a period of my life where i did listen to a few different different albums and there was a a period and a sort of a genre of music kind of led into one another. So the what what I bought with me today is um Costello Music by the Fratellis and Hard Fi Stars of CCTV. Nice. And so these are two bands that really we sort of discussed this briefly before we started recording. They they were part of that leading wave of 
new indie rock in the UK, so about a decade on from Britpop. Yeah, there's a few different ones, and you, you could probably add like the Arctic Monkeys into that list. You could add, although a, a solo artist, someone like Paolo Nutini, you could add in. There was somebody else who, who we talked about before, and I've completely forgotten it. Oh, like the Streets, yep. for instance. Ah, uh, who was the other one? Razor Light. Yeah, yes, yep, yep. true. That, true. That's, that the sort libertines. of the liber- Yeah, there was a real glut from sort of two thousand and three to two thousand and seven of these types of bands that kind of appeared out of nowhere. Made you know some had a bit more longevity than others. Yeah, whenever I think of Hardfire, I think of Maximo Park. Just in my head, they're just two really, really similar bands, and then. The Fratellis are slightly different, a bit of a cleaner sound. And I guess we'll go into detail there, but yeah, I, I love the Fratellis. I love their attitude. So tell us a little bit about the bands for us. Um, well, the Fratellis, first of all, inspired by that amazing 80s cult movie. I guess you'd call it a cult movie, wouldn't you? The, the Goonies. And and obviously the, the villain family in, in that film. So they, they were inspired. Their stage names, there was Mince and John and Barry. I think it was Barry they called themselves. And, yep. and they, they named themselves the Fratellis. And uh, and it, it was interesting that they gave themselves the stage names as well. Like you don't <laughs> yes. see many, you don't see many bands giving themselves stage names based on the name of the band. Right. It's just a bit odd. Yeah. And they were... They were one of those bands in that era that were very, very fast rising. So Costello Music's their debut and they were huge very, very quickly off the back of it. Well, I think Costello Music really hit the scene because of Chelsea Dagger. I yeah. mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll dive into <laughs> the album and without trying to jump too far ahead, that song, Chelsea Dagger, was almost a, an anthem of that summer 2006. It still you is an anthem. You, well, but yeah, it's like, it's almost like, and I don't use this lightly, but you go into a pub or if you've, if you've got into like a fun pub or a, 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 even a, dare I say, a wedding and, and the DJ sticks on Mr. Brightside, yeah. right? You know that's going to get everybody up and dancing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's almost a Scottish Mr. Brightside, Chelsea Dagger. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's got that, it's got that vibe about it. It gets people up. Everybody knows it. You can imagine it being played in a pub at halftime of the football, you know, yeah. European Championships or World Cup in the summer. And England are winning 1-0. You know, Scotland are rarely there, are they? Let's be fair. But, you know, and then at halftime, the, the commentary goes off and the pub sticks on Chelsea Dagger and everybody bounces about for a bit. Yeah, for me, those two songs that you've mentioned are basically that period's park life. It's that song that yeah. comes on in a crowded, boozy pub and everyone stops what they're doing and yells along to it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I listen to your Blur versus Oasis and... You think part life versus like maybe roll with it or something like that. And everybody, like you say, stops what they're doing and they will sing in a pub to that song in the top of their voices. Yeah, absolutely. I've just, I've just looked it up. And um, the Chelsea dagger in there is John Fratelli's wife, who is a burlesque dancer. So yep. it's named after after her. And first off, that's 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 brilliant. He's just, it's a, it's a tribute to his wife. And secondly... Yeah, Wikipedia says it's a play on Britney Spears' name, which I never thought about before, but I get it now. It's uh... Yeah, I thought it was something else entirely. There were rumours that it was about doing coke with a prostitute. 
but that is apparently entirely incorrect. Uh, but the other thing that's hilarious is that it actually, obviously she loves it from the fact that he wrote it for her, but it sort of pisses her off now because if she's announced as Chelsea Dagger, people think that she's named herself after the song rather than the other way around. Yeah, it's kind of ruined her act a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But apparently this is one of those songs that he talks about it being incredibly easy to write. So the refrain, that do-do-do-do-do-do-do refrain came to him and he couldn't believe that no one had ever done that before and just assumed that he'd heard it somewhere and it stuck in his head there are so many songs like that where you listen to artists and they just wrote it in the bath in five minutes and you get an absolute classic and this is one of them yeah well uh mccartney talks about yesterday being like that where he he woke up with yesterday in his head and just assumed that someone had written it already it's, it's just that's something special that musicians have that the rest of us don't yeah it just sticks doesn't it it just has that that's something that wasn't their first release of the album either was it Henrietta was the first release of the album um it didn't didn't get anywhere near the the purchase or the the gravitas should we say yeah of, of what Chelsea Dagger did it's a good song but it only you know it it limped into the top 20 rather than being a being an absolute banger I really like Henrietta. I love the guitars opening. Yeah. It puts me in mind of a Pixies track called Crackety Jones, which is another one that's very, that kind of very bouncy guitar thing going on. And it's got some quirky Blur-esque things in there as well, which I think is an absolutely brilliant track. And as you say, Chelsea Dagger sort of overshadows everything else. And bands do need those tracks that hook people in and get them famous. But yeah, I feel like Henrietta's often overlooked when it shouldn't be. Well, I was going to say that there are a few songs on the album that are good enough to say that the Fratellis aren't like a one-hit wonder because you could, I guess, to the layman, suggest that they've only got one big song, so that's all they are. But there's more to the, the Fratellis than that, I think. There's there's an energy all the way through their music, which is fun. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they there were six of those songs on Castello Music were, were released as singles, Really? Yeah, from 12th of June 2006 all the way through to the 11th of June 2007. I don't know many albums that have that many singles off them. When you listen to the album, there aren't what you would call a lot of just album tracks. Like, it goes to show when they've released six and the (laughs) the album's only got, I think the album's only got 11 tracks on in total. Yeah. And it's like... Wow, you know that—that's some good going to get the meat out to get the meat out of one album. Yeah, it was definitely a thing. I always felt like that era of British indie rock bands were really, really flogged on those first albums if they did well, and bands were often dropped very quickly if they didn't follow up that first album with a massive second smash or if they took too long over it. And I feel like there's an element with the Fratellis and a lot of other bands where. They had that massive first wave and then sort of not disappeared because they've been releasing music for almost two decades now. But yeah, if you were listening to these albums back then, let me ask this. You talked about finding these albums and the fact that they've got a special place in your heart at a particular point in time. How did you find Costello music to start with? Was it through that single? It was through It was through that single, through Chelsea Dagger and... It was actually the the third release off the album, which was Whistle for the Choir. Okay. The Whistle for the Choir is a song that has has got a bit of a special place in my heart with that. And, and Rich, you've known me for a fairly long time now. I'm not the, the soppiest of people. <laughs> uh, but when I first started going out with, with my wife, 
this was the song that came on in the car when I first picked her up. Awesome. To go out on the radio. Nice. And and then from the back of that, I bought the album because I like Chelsea Dagger, Henrietta, and then this song. And I was like, I need to get this album. That's three three decent mm-hmm. songs these guys have done now. Yeah. And we used that. We then, whenever we went out, we would listen. Like whenever we drove anywhere, we would have, we had three stock albums in the car, in the CD player as it was then. Mm -hmm. And I didn't own a lot of CDs, but the three, we had Costello Music, we had Stars of CCTV, and we had These Streets, Paolo Nutini. And we just used to kind of, if we were on a journey or whatever, that would be what we listened to. Nice. So it was that that led me to to buying the album. And, you know, Whistle for the Choir is is probably up there with my favourite songs of all time. Yeah. You know, just because of, you know, the background meaning, it's a, it's a fantastic song. It's not amazing, but it's got that sort of personal meaning to, to me. It's got a really catchy chorus. It's got one mm. of those effortless, really lovely, easy listening. I say easy listening and people think that I'm saying it as an insult. I'm not. I love something that's easy listening, something that you just have on and... And like your brain's whistling along to it while you're thinking about other things. Yeah, it's just a really good good song. It's kind of straightforward, 4-4 four, four time. I guess it's not quite pop, but it's just good music. And, and you can't hate it. I mean, there's no one could listen to that and go, ah, oh, I'm never listening to that again. It's It's got that kind of, just it's just a nice song. It's, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's just a nice song. It's got, it's got a bit of an uplifting tune, uplifting feel. But the the song itself isn't particularly uplifting. Do you know what I mean? It's it's got right. it can meander you through a, a tough time or it meander you through a, an afternoon of easy listening. But the the lyrics aren't particularly uplifting, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's things like that 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 makes it a little bit more special, I guess, because it gives you a little bit of a a warm a warm glow. It's just a nice song that means a lot and it just brings back good memories. Yeah. And any any song that's got a little whistling solo in there is it's gotta be good, oh, right? <laughs> yes. Hundred <laughs> percent. And you mentioned positive, maybe not lyrically, but certainly musically, and that is something that I find with Costello music. It is a positive, happy sounding album. And to me, one of the things that I love about it is it, it is a reminder of that year. And that was my finishing university going into the working world. But I had a bit of time off over that summer. And it sounds like a fun booze fueled summer. And not even necessarily 2005. It probably is a soundtrack for two or three summers after that as well. Every song has got a little bit about it that you could just get up, you know, just to get you going. They almost sound very similar. There's similar riffs in there. There's similar, similar tunes, and I just, I just like to listen to it and listen to it this week. And it's the first time I've listened to it in full for for quite a while. And I listened to it while I was walking the dog, and I found myself almost skipping along to the beat. Even like <laughs> uh, one of the songs on the on the album, Vince the Lovable Stoner. Yeah, which which is a which is a fantastic song, by the way, and and what I like about this, and there's something that sort of a wider point of what I was hoping to touch on as we move through this, was that these these songs and these albums, like these streets, like Stars of CTTV, like the Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say they are, they're songs from personal experience, and you can tell they know someone called Vince, yeah. and he's a lovable stoner, <laughs> right? And they've just written a song about him. 
And it's that kind of, they're not just singing about anything. It's all touched them in one way or another. And, and that's what I like about it. And that gives it sort of a bit more authenticity. And that's one of the things that I, I love about this album is that it does feel, it feels like it's written from a place of just them writing about what they know and loving all of these things. I don't know whether you listen to the follow-up, but that always, to me, sounds a little bit more difficult in terms of they 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 didn't necessarily... It was almost like there's pressure to follow up the first album and to try and recapture that magic. Well, you hit the nail on it, the head yourself uh, a little while ago when you said that there was, a, there was a few bands that really struggled to follow up really big first albums such yep. as this. And Fratelli's, I think, were you know, a bit of a victim of this, a victim of Chelsea Dagger, perhaps, and a victim of not being able to follow up with what may have been perceived level of gravity that that the songs on Costello Music provided. Yeah, in my head, the change from the first, or from Costello Music to Here We Stand, is the production. I love the production on on Costello music because it's so simple and the sound, if you listen to it through some decent speakers, is so clean and it's just really simple. And then they've probably got a load of cash and they've gone to a bigger recording studio and they've the next album's just a bit more embellished. And I don't know whether that kind of loses some of the magic that is in the first album. I don't know. Well, well maybe, maybe that's a, a question then with regards to why some of these bands fell away so quickly is that the authenticity that they had for the first album then kind of got muddled with potential overproduction and and complication that was completely unnecessary because they had a lot more money and they thought, well, we could do this, we could do that. Or they were being potentially pushed to do whatever it is that they were we being asked to do. And, you know, maybe Costello Music was their baby and everything else maybe they weren't in control of as much as as maybe they could have been or they should have been yeah and the thing about this scene is that all of these first albums were part of the start of a new wave of indie rock so if you look at from kind of 99 to 2004-2005 pop is back dominating the charts we talked about this in the blur episode everything before suede and blur and oasis is very much old school pop and some old school rock this feels like the same where you had a wave of pop music like the britney spears era pop music came in and this is off the back of that it's almost a backlash to the pop stuff to to have rock albums coming out again and there's a there's a term that i dislike called landfill indie which is that record labels were basically just desperately trying to get whatever indie bands they could get their hands on bring them in, see if they could make a smash hit record and then dumping them again if they didn't. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there, like the, the Britpop era came off the back of Stock Aiken and Waterman, manufactured, soap star, you know, Kylie and Jason style, early 90s. It was all very teeny bopper type stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. And and then obviously you had Britpop and then you had that second wave, like you say, you had Timberlake, you had Spears, you had all of those boy bands that came through. You had your NSYNCs and your Backstreet Boys. <laughs> well, that's that's what it was, wasn't it? Simon yep. Cowell created Five and you had, you had all, I mean, don't get me wrong, right? I loved that sort of shit as well. And, you know, I'd hold my hands up to that. At 2am in a club, everyone's dancing along to that shit. Because at, at the time, 
at the time that's what the girls liked as well <laughs> so yeah. you, you know you make concessions don't you but then after that it was when that like you say that that new wave of indie rock type stuff kind of appeared yeah and and there was a glut as i say there was a glut of of this type of music for 2003 through to 2007 maybe 2008 Absolutely. And you mentioned Hard Five being part of that from your perspective, a- another big band, another album that you had in the car for all of those car journeys, all of that you yeah. know, pre- predate listening. Tell us a little bit about Hard Five. Well, Hard Five is, is slightly different because Stars of CCTV was a little bit earlier. So that came out in the summer mm-hmm. of 2005. And as we rolled around towards the end of 2005, I was still in, I was still in the RAF. And I ended up getting detached, like real last minute. I found out on like a Wednesday and the following Monday, I went to Oman for four months. Wow. And that was like January, end of January, 2006. So I'd not really discovered hard fight up until then. And I had a one meg MP3 player, just a little tiny little MP3 player, right? Yep. And... I went to my mum and dad's house and my dad had a raft of albums on his computer. Right. And I just used, I had to just go through and there was, there was some absolute dross on there, (laughs) as you'd expect. Right. But there was some amazing stuff on there. You know, we had Queen and they had all sorts. I mean, Queen are my favourite of all time. I could talk about Queen for hours, days, months, right? (laughs) But Hard Fiber on there and I thought, oh, I've not really listened to this. So I stuck it on this, this MP3 player. And off I trotted on on the RAF transport to Oman via Basra. Oh, nice! Now, <laughs> so I flew I flew into flew into Iraq, flew into Basra on a on a military aircraft. And when when you fly into a place like Basra, you you do what's called a tactical landing. So you end up you you're swaying from side to side. To, so you're not basically on a straight flight path. So if there is a surface to air missile coming at you. <laughs> You know, they're not just shooting on a straight flight path. You have to kind of tactical that. Anyway, so I get to Basra and I've never been to Iraq before, as you'd imagine. And I'm stuck there for 36 hours. Like my, my next onward transport is is not for 36 hours. And there is this big hangar with about 250 bunk beds in it. And the, it was basically a find yourself a bunk, kick back you know your next transport's not for not for 36 hours they've neglected to tell me and i you know i didn't know that during the night that uh the air camp gets mortared so you oh, have nice. mortars that are being fired in from from the from the iraqis even in like the in 2000 early 2006 that was still going on and uh nothing exploded but you just hit you could just hear them flying over and it was the the oddest the oddest feeling yeah you know, I'm 20, why am I 24, you know, RAF communicator. I'm not made for being in Basra. You know, I'm not a, a soldier, a fusilier. There's all these Welsh guards and stuff just meandering about like nothing's going on. And there's this little RAF geek, like <laughs> almost cowering on his bed, you know, smoking 20 fags like they're going out of fashion and just not really knowing what's going on. Anyway, like that, that's kind of by the by. But on on this Hard Fire album, track two is a song called Middle Eastern Holiday. And I didn't even know it was on there, right? Didn't even know it was on there. But I started listening to, to the album, you know, during this 36 hours, I had a lot of time to kill. 
And I listened to this album once, and I, I, like track two, Middle Eastern Holiday, and I was like, this resonates a little bit, <laughs> right? Because I didn't know what was going on. And, and from there, I just fell in love with the whole album. And like I say, because I'm, I'm not particularly sound orientated or music orientated I, I can't play anything i'm you know i'm mm-hmm. pretty much tone deaf i just i just really enjoyed the album and it really resonated with me at that time and that song the middle eastern holiday song really it just it just hooked me in straight away and that's where i got a, a real love of albums that are like stories yeah yeah they're not like a, just a collection of songs but an album that kind of walks you through a a period in someone's life or or whatever it is right and and there is a there's a lot in that stars of cctv album that i can sort of personally attach to yeah th- yeah there's a lot of a lot of the albums kind of it's not talking about total destitution or people that are rich it's kind of the common man and it's things like the first songs about living for a cash machine we can all relate to yeah. that we've been at students I'd, I'd fallen out of university and you do have to keep an eye on your bank balance all the time and so when this <laughs> when cash machine came on and it was like have i got x amount to cover my food my beer yeah. then yeah you can instantly relate to it yeah, yeah. and there's songs like that that go that sort of go all the way through through the album yeah and all the all the way to all the way to the end when you get to to live in for the weekend and, and stars of cctv you know it's it just makes you feel like you're back to your mid twenties. You're going out for me. Yeah. You're going out on the piss. You know, yeah. You're living from week to week. Although, like you say, I was in the RF at the time. Whereas it was basically weekend millionaires or payday millionaires, <laughs> where you'd get you'd get paid at the end of the month, and that weekend you'd be an absolute king. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then the weekend after you'd be a bit of a prince, but you'd still have a good time. And then the weekend after, and then all of a sudden you'd be like. You know, you go to the cash machine, are oh, you going to be able to get a beer? Because you don't know what's going to be in there. Yeah, I love Living for the Weekend. It's just, it's a fantastic track. And it's um, it's one which you can completely get into. If, if you've been in that situation, then when that track goes on, especially like on a, on a Thursday, Friday night, and it did come on in pubs as well. I mean, it wasn't just a, an album that was on the radio. It kind of got accepted into pubs and uh, and bars all over the place and so yeah it was it, it did kind of get spread around quite a bit i kind of think of it as a working class anthem of an album and they've tapped into this this working class vibe even though these guys are middle class suburbanites from stains they've got something that people can really relate to here and both lyrically and musically it's a really solid album the thing that really stood out to me going and listening to it with a bit more of a critical ear was the bass lines are absolutely brilliant particularly so cash machine's got this kind of cool funky club bass line and then you've got this more aggressive thing on middle eastern holiday and i was interested about this so i went and had a look at their influences and they have a lot of soul and dance influences that i think set them apart from your kind of standard 4-4 rock outfit at the time yeah, I find there's a lot of ch- there's, there's there's some really good changes of pace as well. Right, Cause, you know, you're going from unnecessary trouble, which which never got released, but you know, again, you can relate to. You know, you're going out, you, you don't know what's going to come on, and then and then it really drops back into move on now, where it's it's really serene, it's really 
lyrically very good. It's really well sung as well. And then and then from there, it takes you into Better Do Better. And Better Do Better is, is probably my favourite song of the album. With all the meaning of the Middle Eastern holiday and, and other stuff, I really, I really enjoy Better Do Better. Yeah, I think something that struck me that I'd not thought about at the time, because I think back on hard fire and at the time i didn't get into them i think i dismissed them as oh it's just another of these new indie rock bands they all sound the same and blah 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 and and actually that's unfair that i've dismissed them that way because there's some really brilliant stuff on here they use a lot of different instruments so there's brass on as you as you talk about unnecessary travel and piano on other tracks like there's a lot of stuff going on They're they're not just guitars and a bass yeah definitely which i really like they're another one that got huge very very quickly they apparently played the brixton academy five nights in a row and they're one of the few to do so off the back of their debut album which just shows how big they got yeah i do remember quite a few of my friends getting into it really quickly and the album i don't know whether it was just because it had a bright yellow cover with a, the black cctv on it but it's so distinctive that if you you could see the cd and it's like that's a hard album you knew it and so i don't think it was just the album that did it but it got a little bit of cult status just because it was it was a bit different definitely and, and obviously with them being sort of south west london lads as well you know feltham and stains and that sort of area you know, it, it, it's it's not surprising that they were they were successful in and around that time in London because it again you know we mentioned it before and, and there's a bit of a theme here about being able to relate to this stuff yeah and and I like like TV shows like there's a lot of stuff I I only really get into it if I feel like I can relate to it and it, it's a bit of an odd an odd quirk I guess but. One of the things about their sound that I think is a bit more interesting is that it it's a little bit dancey. That it's not just kind of your standard rock music. It's kind of it's got a little bit of energy about it, and all of the beats are just a little bit. There's just a tempo to them where you can just nod your head, and especially if you're, if you're driving along, there's there, there's an energy there that. And you pick the Fratellis and them, and they've both got really good examples of bands who've just got a little bit more energy than your average noughties band i said noughties again but you know <laughs> yeah i i guess you're right and it, and it is it has got that if if a single comes on in the car if hard to beat let's say comes on in the car you're banging the, the volume mm-hmm. up and and you're, you're giving it a good head nod and and you're singing along and you can do that to almost every track on the on the album stars of cctv is a prime example you can really belt that one out and same as the as Costello music, like most tracks, if they appear on the radio or if you're not listening to them, you're you're banging it up and you're and you're having a good time. Yeah, it's like Baby Fratelli, and is like yeah, it, it's a bit like a kind of positive smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge comparison, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe I've overdone it. No, but, but <laughs> the the premise is is right. I think you know it's it's just feel good. Yeah. It does feel, even though some of the subjects maybe aren't meant to make you feel good, it does just feel good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So did you follow up with Once Upon a Time in the West or did you not really listen to that album much? Didn't, mate. As I say, I uh, I don't follow up a lot of this sort of stuff. The, 
because these these albums were for a particular period of my, in my life and mm-hmm. and during that period i listened to them a lot because when i was in oman i only had this one meg thing i listened to this album a lot like a lot a lot yeah. and then it was in the and then it happened to, then i got the cd and it was in the car and i didn't buy many albums i was ne- i never was a person that oh, i'm gonna go and get the cd of this because i really really like it it had to really grab me for me to buy the cd i had actually a very similar experience in terms of repeatedly listening to a specific album around that time so in that 2005 summer i left university and a mate had been putting up marquees over the previous summer with a business that he put me in touch with and i just went and did that for a summer because like just good honest work pays a decent amount i just need the money it'll be good and if we were putting up a marquee and you were just doing stuff away from everyone else and you didn't you could stick headphones in and just get on with your job and the silent alarm album by block party was that album for me where i just listened to it so much that it's just like melded into my brain it's amazing how songs do that because for me in the summer of 2005 i was doing some work in london so i was there for a couple of months and for some reason i had a radio alarm clock and i think i was tuned into i think it was xfm at the time Mm -hmm. and every morning when that alarm clock went off golden touch by razor light came on and that song is completely just buried in my brain for being in London at that time. And and I, I love it for, for what it is. And people kind of go off on one about Razorlight and how useless that Johnny Burrell guy is. But I love, love, love that song because it just associates you with that time. I think that's one of the key things for albums is is that thing that it brings you back. It gives you the memories of, of a certain time in your life. Yeah, absolutely, and you know there there are a couple of other albums that that I mentioned earlier, like These Streets, which is which is an incredible album, classic. It's a really really incredible album, and and the follow up, I think the follow up was Sunny Side Up, and that whilst it didn't have the sort of the cult status of These Streets, there were some still really good tracks on on Sunny Side Up, and you know Paolo Nutini is one of the only people I've seen live. You know, living where I live, it's it's not easy to see live music or let's say big acts live you know Cornwall is not a hotbed for, <laughs> for people coming down although in in recent years we've had you know, I went to what I saw Lionel Richie at the Eden Project nice. which was decent I was going to say you've got a couple of festivals down that way at least and yeah. Yuki I guess would be a spot for some of those summer one day festivals Boardmasters Board yeah, yeah Boardmasters is the one although I've not been to Boardmasters for years and years and years yeah, Dizzy Rascal was probably the last person I saw it at Boardmasters. Nice. I've never seen Dizzy Rascal live, but I bet it's an absolutely brilliant which, which, set. Which was awesome. Um, I remember seeing Elbow at one of the first Boardmasters. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, we've taken some uh, pelters the last last week on not doing Elbow on this uh, on this podcast. Really? Yet. Yeah. I mean, Elbow <laughs> Elbow would be a tough a tough one to get through. I think. Oh, it's happening. I love Elbow. I've been putting them off. They are they are incredible. I mean, but but there's some songs there's some songs that they've produced that would be would be very difficult to 
just to chat through really you know even even yeah. without having any horrific experiences like that so but i saw <laughs> panettini is one i saw in the eden project and he was absolutely i mean i don't want to swear on your podcast but he was <laughs> absolutely out of his brain <laughs> but it was That's such fine. a you good, feel free to swear he away was, he was absolutely shit-faced and he <laughs> he put on such a good show and i was trying to remember i think he was supported by martha wainwright yep. who was his warm-up act and he came on and he delivered a you could just tell he was used to performing smashed yeah <laughs> and he put on such a good show it was a, a sunny evening at the eden project in cornwall and it was just you know, there 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 can't be many better places to watch live music in in that sort of circumstance, and uh, yeah, it was it was brilliant. But you know, he uh, he was also very very drunk as he was when I first watched him, and during one of my first dates with Mrs. So I, I feel like I'm rambling. So I'm sorry if I am. It's good rambling, but you get me talking. Like let's say you've been on podcast with me, Rich. When I start rambling, that's that's kind of it. But we went we went to watch Palinutini at. To university, like a really okay. small, intimate gig, and the warm up act, he sort of turned up on stage and started fiddling around with stuff. And everybody's just kind of stood there thinking, This guy, a roadie, like, what, what's his, what, what's he doing, right? And anyway, all of a sudden, he, he started just, he whopped out this acoustic guitar and started tapping away and doing bits and pieces and, and, and playing. And it turns out it was Newton Faulkner. Now, this was before Newton Faulkner anybody had heard of Newton Faulkner and ironically I bought Hand Built by Robots from him nice at that gig that's a great shout I love I love those moments where you discover a band that you really like just only off the back of seeing them either at a festival or as a support and you buy their album and then a few months later all of a sudden everyone's talking about them yeah and he did that acoustic performance of Teardrop uh, just nice. uh, just the acoustic guitar and that's and that's what I thought Jesus Christ so, yeah, this guy is amazing yeah. and then then obviously released Habit by Robots uh, Dream Catch Me caught off and, and launched him into the, the mainstream a little bit along with his massive ginger dreadlocks yeah <laughs> yeah I'm sure he'd get pelters for uh for cultural appropriation or something these days but back then that was entirely acceptable oh yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> nice but you've not seen either of these two live, Hardfire or the Fratellis? No, the Fratellis kind of <laughs> disappeared. They, they had that one big tour for Costello Music, but didn't come anywhere near me. And as I say, at the time, whilst I enjoyed listening to the the band, listening to the music, I was never really bothered by going to watch people live. And it's only in recent years that I've, that I've become more interested in that. But still, you know, I'm not not desperate to go and see people like I, I wouldn't go oh wow I wish I'd I wish I'd done that or I wish I'd seen them or you know this band's now split up and I wish that you know I so wish I'd done it. I've just I've never been that caught or that driven by music in general mm-hmm. yeah that's fair enough yeah I haven't seen Hardfire did catch the Fratellis I think I was trying to work out where I think at Isle of Wight Festival when I went there but I literally went saw them up to the point where they played Chelsea Dagger and then went off to see someone else. <laughs> That's the thing, I've never been to a festival. I'd love to go to a festival, but I feel like my... Mate, I'll take you to a festival. Mate, that would be so good. Like, my kids' birthdays are the 21st and the 24th of June. 
So I feel like I'm never right. going to get to go to Glastonbury <laughs> because that is usually the weekend when it, when it happens. That is usually the weekend of my kid's birthday. So it would fall right in the middle of that. What a birthday present. Yeah, take That's the way yeah. to take yeah. it. Yeah. I don't want I mean... to be responsible if I'm at a festival. <laughs> if I'm going to a festival, I'm going to listen to the music and get mashed. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I so I go to a festival every year called End of the Road Festival, which is early September, and I love it. But it's also quite kid friendly. So I think my sister, my sister's actually due this week, but she's talking about bringing her what will be what nine month old child to the festival this this September if it goes ahead. So there are festivals that are a bit more family friendly, but yeah, if you you, you might have to uh, arrange with your wife to uh, to maybe look after the kids some evenings. Yeah, well that that's an issue because my missus hates camping as well. Oh, right. So if I'm going to, if I'm going <laughs> to a festival, or if we're if we're going to a festival, like we've got to do it in absolute style, and I'm like, it's just so much money. Yeah, yeah. But the one that you mentioned is like camp festival that's supposed oh, to be yeah. amazing for kids yep. and they've got they have like cbb's people there and stuff in like a children yeah there, there is stuff available but convincing my missus to camp out <laughs> without a shower or stuff for three or four days yeah. is it's just not happening. i feel like henry is a, a man who can feel your pain on that front yeah I, well i haven't been to a festival for well probably since the mid 2000s actually that was it and then since then it's been gigs only because of the similar thing <laughs> camping and festivals and with a wife is just not on the cards at the moment yeah cool well i think we should probably wrap up because we've had a good, good long chat on that one um thanks so much for coming along russ and giving us your views on on mid noughties indie rock <laughs> um, it's been great having you along where can people find you and the all over podcast if they want to follow you on twitter Oh, well, so I am at Russ Milson. I'm back on Twitter now after throwing a bit of a hiss of fit on my personal Twitter. We are Mall Over Podcast. If, if anybody that listens to this enjoys rugby, yep. then we are the Mall Over Podcast. We're on a bit of a hiatus at the moment because like, we kind of just fallen out of love with rugby due to pandemic and game cancellations. And it's all just feels, it's just a bit flat and it's really hard to get into at the moment but yeah i'm i'm across all the social media i've i've got some pretty uh pretty funky opinions on stuff so you know <laughs> and, as, and i often you know feel like i've been quite restrained today for the sake of rich and henry's podcast <laughs> but you know if if you've listened to to the long snapper or more over or whatever you'll know that uh i usually just say exactly what comes into my head however weird it is if you want very very honest takes on nfl and rugby and life in general go and follow ross cheers awesome good stuff <laughs> all right thanks guys it's been fun we will catch you all next week cheers cheers thank you for listening to another episode of i might be wrong